Uh, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for being here tonight, uh, bringing us all here tonight. I ask that you please um, open our hearts, God, to what you would have to say to us. Um, help us to listen attentively and speak through Jeremiah, God. Um, and just uh, give us, yeah, give us your message tonight. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thanks for having me. This Josh Ty gave me this big honking thing. He's getting some kind of sick, twisted joy out of this. I'll get you back. <laughs> so thanks for having me. Um, I, seriously, I might fiddle with this a lot, so just ignore it. This is really awkward and huge. It looks like a big wart. Um, and I can see it out of the corner of my eye, so I'm always thinking it's a fly. Um, well, thanks for having me. I'll tell you a little bit about myself before we get started. I, I spoke um, last semester at over on uh, East Campus. So a lot of you guys may remember me as the field sled guy who was pulled behind a Jeep. Yeah, yeah, that guy. I, in fact, a couple times I've run into some students over here, and they're like, yeah, you're that guy that told that crazy story. And I'm like, yeah, did you remember what the lesson was about? No, but that was a crazy story. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Can I do that? Thanks. Let me turn. Hold on. So uh, tonight I thought I would not share that story again. Um but just to give you, a, for those of you guys who don't know me, I know a lot of you guys from, from uh, over at Elevation, but uh, my name is Jeremiah. I grew up in Virginia in a little town called Montvale in a log cabin in the woods like civilization ended. My parents thought that would be a great place to live, and, and it was pretty cool. I, I spent my time running through the woods fighting ninjas and what else, whatever else was out there, and running from bears and cool things like that. So that looks really good. Looks really good. So um, they're eating down there. <laughs> um, I have a beautiful wife. Uh, met her in high school, so we were high school sweethearts. That's just cool. Yeah, all the ladies. Uh, we dated for six years. We never kissed. Just kidding. Just kidding. We kissed a lot. <laughs> but that's as far as it went. And so we had a nine-hour distance between us when we went to school, so I was dedicated. And I had mad Laney's line up around the block. So I was dedicated to her, and I said, no, thank you. No, I'm just kidding. I really didn't have that. But we, we did have nine hours. And she she actually had guys hitting on her all the time because she's flipping hot. And she would work out in the gym, and she'd tell me, yeah, I had a guy hit on me today. And I'd get so jealous because I was nine hours away and couldn't do anything about it. And I was always afraid she was going to get swept off her feet by some guy with a six-pack and and here I am in South Carolina, and she's in West Virginia. So I married her, luckily. Um, she said yes, and uh, I'll tell you a story about how that happened another time. And so we have two kids that are biological, and we just adopted a third from Ethiopia. And so our kids' names are Ella, who's four, getting ready to turn five and knows everything, Ezra, who's three and likes to tear apart everything, and Eli, who's kind of a drama queen and winds in anytime Ezra runs by him. Eli is the adopted son, and um, so we have a, an awesome family. My kids are, are really, really, really cute, and uh, if you've met my kids, you know this to be true. I'm not just exaggerating. Alyssa knows. If you need to know, ask Alyssa. They're, they're pretty sweet, and Katie Reichert keeps, keeps Ezra and Eli also in nursery, which is cool. Um, so I have three great kids and a, and a beautiful wife, and we live on a farm up the road in Hill, like just North Durham, about 15 minutes from here, and some of you guys have been out to that, and we don't have cows or anything. It's just a big farm that used to be a working farm, but we rent it for like 850 bucks a month. It's a sweet deal, 
and uh, there's 42 acres in a big pond, and yeah, I don't mow at all. I mow five acres, which is plenty, <laughs> and um, since it keeps me in a great physical form um, on my riding mower. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... So that's a little bit about me. If you have any more questions about me, feel free to ask after tonight. If not, I won't take it personally. I do want to tell you a little bit about where I work. Um, I work for Greystone, which is just right down the road, and we have a service called Elevation. Some of you guys attend uh, very regularly, and some of you guys I've seen in and out a couple of times. But if you don't know about it, um, it's a college service. It's geared for you guys. We have uh, real high-energy worship and uh, great teaching and uh, it meets in our FLC. You can come in whatever, just as long as you're dressed. And and it starts at 10 o'clock. We have free coffee and donuts beforehand. And we would love to have you guys out there. Now, I, I say that to, to let you know that if you're involved in a church already, don't jump over. Just stay in the church. We want you plugged in somewhere. And there's tons of good churches in Durham uh, to get plugged into. But if you're not, if you're still trying to find out where, where you want to fit in at, uh, we'd love to have you over there. We have a small group that meets afterward that's about 25 of you, so it's no longer small. Um, but we're working on splitting that up a little bit. But uh, we'd love to have you guys out. It's called Elevation, and you can ask Josh about it. He knows. He runs tech for it. He does a, a really good job at doing that. So uh, thanks for doing that, Josh. Appreciate it. <laughs> well, tonight we are going to talk about loving your neighbor, this idea of, of what it means to love your neighbor. And, and I'm glad you read the uh, passage because I was kind of debating whether to read it or not. Didn't know if I was going to kick it Jesus style and just tell the story. But since you read it, I'll kick it Jesus style. I'm, can, I'm not going to talk with a mic. Is that cool? Because this thing's shaking. And, can you guys hear me? I, asked, I guess two weeks ago to come and do this. And, and then he gave me the, the topic that he wanted me to share on. And so as, uh, as I was studying this passage, I've never spoke on this before. It's one of those stories that if you grew up in church, you hear it a lot. In Sunday school, when your teacher has the felt board up and the little guys with the beards and she walks them across the board, and, and then if you don't grow up in church, then maybe this is a brand new story to you, but it's, it's a really sweet story. It's a really cool story because you, you get to see a lot of the personality of Christ and you get to kind of put it in a, in a setting that's very unique. And, um, and I believe this story, I, I'm going to try to keep this short. There's so many ways you could go with this, and I'll keep it short um, just because... I don't want to just say the same thing over and over, and, and I really want you guys to, to hear uh, what the Word of God has to say for us. And So let's just set the story up. So Jesus, has he's just sent out the 70, and they've come back, and they've been uh, overjoyed. And Jesus, it says that Jesus right then and there rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and, and just, uh, just was ecstatic that these 70 came back joyous. And then there's this, this teacher, this lawyer, as some translations Call him, and he's basically a, a student of the law of Moses. He's, he's the one who knows the law backwards and forwards. If you have a question about the law, you go to this guy. And he comes to Christ. He stands up, which back then was a, a sign of respect. But he makes a statement that I think if we, if we looked at two words in that statement, we could see where his heart was. First of all, he calls Jesus teacher, which the, another time Christ is called teacher, it's by a rich young ruler, and he's actually called good teacher, and Christ says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. and shows that this attitude of, of this man calling Christ teacher, he had no idea he was the Messiah. And so he stands up and he's trying to, to kind of pin Christ to the wall in this joyous time and, and that he's celebrating with these 70. And, and he says, um, 
he says this, he asks this question, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And we can focus on the second word, I, in this statement, that he's concerned about him and he's trying to put Jesus in a corner. And he asks this question, and then Jesus, which is really cool, I love how Jesus answers this, he doesn't blurt it out. He says, well, you're a student of the law. What does it say to you? And, and Jesus then tells him, all right, and then the, the man then tells Jesus, well, the, the law says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus says, well, that, that's correct. That's right. Good job, student of the law. <laughs> and, so, and so the guy, I guess, you know, he's kind of prideful, and, and he's, just, he's, he's probably seething inside a little bit, and, and he's seeking to justify his position because now he stood up in this crowd and thought he had Jesus pinned, and Jesus just, you know, off the top rope, elbow smash into the guy's forehead, and the guy's like, oh, crap. Uh, well, who's my neighbor? Ha-ha! You know, got you now, sucker. And Jesus says, and then Jesus starts in with this story, and this incredible story. Now, I'm not going to debate whether the story actually happened or not. I know scholars have debated that for years, like whether this was a true story or whether this was a fake story. But this road that Jesus is talking about is actually known as the way of blood. It's a 17-mile road between Jerusalem and Jericho, and it descends about 3,000 feet between the two. So it's downhill and windy and curvy and uh, just a crazy road, and it was known back in the day as being a very dangerous road to be on. You didn't travel this road alone at night. All right, This was a road that robbers hung out on. And If you've ever been to this road, which I have not, but I've seen pictures and I've heard firsthand accounts that this road, it's very easy for someone to sneak up on you because it curves around big rocks and things. So it would be very easy to get ambushed. On this road, and so Jesus starts the story, and, and what we're going to do tonight is kind of break down the story, and and look at each character individually, and then we're going to let this transform our lives, because Jesus never wasted breath. He was always out to change us. He was always out to challenge, and 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 so I don't believe this story is just a sweet story that we can tell on a felt board and, and be done with it. This is a story that that should rock us. It should it should destroy us. And then rebuild us into something that looks more like good. That looks more like Jesus. Is that good? You can hear my stomach rumbling. All right, we'll try it this way. Is that better, Josh? Thanks. All right. So Jesus, I'm gonna hit it again. All right. So where were we? This is great. This throws me off. So let's look at the story. Let's look at the what. Let's break down these characters. So Jesus says there's a man and he's going down this road from. Bye guys. Sorry, I bored you. <laughs> he's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and this man was overcome by robbers. In other words, he got jumped and he got beat up, and they took his clothes and they left him half dead in the ditch. So here you got this picture. This guy who's laying half dead in the ditch. And let's talk about this man for a second. I think Jesus did something very, very. Um, wisely here. He took all stature and all prominence of this man away. In other words, this man is every man. Jesus gave no inclination that this man was a rich guy, a poor guy. He was just a guy. And we have to start there with this idea of loving your neighbor because we're really good at loving each other. Like I almost had you guys give each other like a group hug kind of thing at the beginning, you know, because we're talking about love and then self-hug. But then I thought that would be weird, and, and I didn't want to make it too awkward. 
So, so here's this guy, and we don't know anything about him. And I think Jesus did that on purpose, that this guy has no stature. He has uh, no way of knowing. We have no way of knowing who he was. Back, back then, you, you, you could tell how, who a person was and how affluent they were by their dress and their speech. And so Jesus intentionally takes those two things away. He says, one, he's naked, and two, he's half dead, which means he's not talking to anybody. All right? So we've got this guy in a ditch on the road, and then we come to the, second, the, the two characters that come second. First of all is a priest, and second is a Levite. Now I'm going to kind of lump these two together for, for time's sake, and they're pretty close together. A Levite would assist priests. Uh, they were a descendant of Aaron. I'm sorry, not a descendant of Aaron. Uh, they were a descendant of Levi and Aaron. Aaron's line, of course, were the priests. And so the Levites would assist the priests and, and the temple rituals. And so here comes a Levite and a priest, and they pass by this man on the other side of the road. Now let's take a look at this, this picture here. Here's, here are two representatives of God on earth, the priest and the Levite. Their job is to do rituals in the temple. Wow, is it that bad? <laughs> so... Anyway, this is their job. This is what they do. They represent God on earth. And here's a man completely, completely out of luck, completely in need of help. He's helpless. He's basically a newborn baby laying on the side of the road. And he's been beaten up. And these guys, not only do they pass by him, but they, they go to the other side of the road to pass by him. Now, we could speculate these guys might be thinking the robbers are nearby and they're going to jump me as soon as I go help him. Or we could say they think he's a robber and he's just tricking them, and when they get over there, he's going to you know, get their stuff. But the bottom line is these guys were completely about themselves. In other words, the thing that they were, they were saying in their head was, if I help this guy, what will happen to me? Whether it be a ritualistic, they had to keep themselves clean. Now, Scripture, I think Jesus said they were coming from Jerusalem to Jericho to show that their priestly duties were done. So they would not defile themselves if they helped this guy because they, they were coming away from the temple. But the bottom line of this, these two guys is that they were all about themselves. They were all about what will happen to me. And then we come to the third character, who comes along in this story and is the Samaritan. Now, if you know anything about Jews and Samaritans, they don't like each other. Um, the Jews hated the Samaritans and the Samaritans hated the Jews. If you guys remember the story of the woman at the well, she was a Samaritan woman. So Jesus is not only is he talking to a woman, which was very faux pas back then, now he's talking to a Samaritan woman and this is why her response is, you're a Jew, you're asking me for help? You guys remember that part of the story? The Samaritans and the Jews did not get... I mean, it was worse than Duke UNC. This was awful, awful, awful. They wouldn't be caught dead together. And so the Samaritan comes along. And now, Jesus is talking to a group of Jews, so you've got to assume that they thought this man that was on the side of the road was a Jew. Okay, this is just how their minds worked back then. And so the Samaritan comes along, this one who was despised by Jews. And he comes along... And he does something incredible. Not only does he stop to see if this guy's okay, but he holds up his whole journey, the 17-mile journey. He bandages this guy's wounds. Now, this guy probably didn't have a first aid kit in his donkey sack. All right, He probably ripped his own clothes to bandage this guy's wounds. And he pours wine and oil 
on his wounds. Did you guys know that when James, in the book of James, it talks about anointing with oil? Oil was medicinal. Oil would, would protect a cut. It would protect against infection. And so this guy, he, he medicinally applies oil and wine, wine to kill the bacteria and oil to protect the wounds. Now this stuff was not like you go to you know, the Walmart and pick up oil, right? This wasn't like Crisco you know, or whatever, canola oil or whatever. You know, he poured it out. This was expensive stuff. And he freely bandages this guy's wounds with this oil. And not only does he do that, but then he puts him on his own ride. And this guy's probably walking at this point, pulling his trusty steed along, whatever it was. And, and he's got this guy that's half dead, probably just laid flopped over, dripping oil and blood and wine now, and pulling him along. And he takes him to an inn. And then there's a peculiar part in the story we kind of overlook, but he stays with the guy for a day. He stays with the guy in the inn for a day. And then as he leaves... He goes to the innkeeper and gives him some money, two denarii. We won't talk about how much that is. It's a lot back then. And he says, take this for anything else he needs, and anything else he needs, go ahead and pay for him. When I come back, I'll, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. So the Samaritan does this incredible act. And then Jesus comes out after he's done with this story, and he's looking at the teacher of the law. And the teacher of the law is probably, you guys ever know, when I get in trouble, well, when I used to get in trouble, I, uh, the top of my head would get hot. You guys ever do that? Like if you did something wrong, like the top of my head would just start burning. Like not physically burning, but it would feel really hot. Like all the blood rushing, telling my brain like, think quick, think quick. And, and it would never work. My mom would always get me. And so the top of my head would get, I can imagine this Jewish teacher of the law is probably like the top of his head's getting pretty hot right now. Because Jesus is just hammering him, which Jesus so often did to people. And so Jesus says, now who do you think acted like the neighbor? Who do you think loved his neighbor? And he said, the, he didn't even say the Samaritan. He said the one who did the right thing. And so Jesus says, go and do likewise. And so we come to the end of this story and we look at it and we think, man, that's a pretty cool story. That's, that's a pretty serious, a pretty heavy story. And I have to ask you guys... Who do you, you know, this is part of the reflection part of Scripture, but who do you associate with most? We like to associate ourselves with the heroes, right? David and Goliath, I associate myself with David. He's the one who trusted God and went out there with his slingshot with the best he could do and, and slay the giant. But in actuality, a lot of times I'm the scared little Israelite army on the side of the hill, afraid to defend the name of God. And so before we jump to conclusions and say we're all Samaritans in here because we love each other, we have to ask ourselves, how many times do I act like the Levite or the priest? And do I see someone in trouble and pass by on the other side of the road? And not only do I see someone in trouble, but do I see someone who's not really worth socially or culturally worth the time to help? So this would be like in modern day times, I don't know, I thought about this for a long time today and I couldn't really come up with a great dynamic, but basically if Osama bin Laden had been left beat on the side of the road, half dead, would we stop by to help or would we walk on the other side? And I'm here to tell you tonight that Christ calls us to help. No matter what. Now we all 
would freak out if it was a Son Bin Laden laying on the side of the road. But Christ calls us. He says, they will know you are, you belong to me by your love. It's real easy to look around the room and see people like us and say, man, I love that guy or I love that girl in, in a very, you know, non-relational way, all right? But like, man, I love my, you know, my, he's my bro, he's my dog, whatever you guys say now, you know? And, and it's easy to say that to people who are just like us, to students who struggle with the same struggles we do, but it's hard to say that to the guy standing in the corner having a, you know, will work for food or homeless or veteran, need help. I want to share with you guys a story, and actually two stories that happened in my life just recently. Um, one is a, a semi-success story, and I'm not, I want to preface it with the fact that I'm not telling you this to show you, hey, look what me, look at Look at me, I'm the Samaritan. And the other is, is, a, is a big failure on my part. Um, and sadly, the failure happened after the semi-success story. And my friend Michael Hunt, he, he, uh, Josh Ty knows him, he's, he's a cool guy. He, uh, he kind of went through the youth ministry I was in, and now he's out of youth ministry and helping out with college. And He came over to my door and was knocking on my door and looked really just frantic. And I thought his dad had gotten sick or had a heart attack or something, and I kept asking, are you okay, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, just come here, come here. And beside our churches, there's these like ditches where the water drains down into, and there's these concrete kind of cistern-type things that there's drainage in. And there's a guy laying in the cistern, like laying down in the concrete, and the sun's beating right down on him. And the guy's clearly, he's got, he's, he's a great big dude. He's probably 6'4", like 260. I mean, the dude's a, a giant. And he's got on really tight black pants that look like four sizes too small and, a shirt, and like a jacket kind of like this. Um, but it's, it's not zipped up. It's real tight on him. It doesn't fit him right. And you can just tell the guy is just really hard up. And I thought he was dead, honestly. I thought he was dead. And I stood at the top of the hill, and he's probably from here to you, from, from me and you. And he's laying there, and he, I can't tell if he's breathing. And, and Mike's just like pointing at him, not saying anything. And... And so I kind of creep down the hill, and, and he looks up at me real fast. I guess he heard me coming, and he's like, I, I don't want any trouble. I just, I'm just trying to get out of the sun. He's laying like right in the sun. I'm like, well, there's a porch over here in this old abandoned house you can go sit on. And so he gets up, and he goes over to this house, and, and I'm walking over to him. I'm like, what's going on, man? And he's like, I'm just, I've been walking. I need a place to stay. Uh, looking for something. And so I said, well, I'll be right back. I have some, you know. He's like, do you have any water? So I went inside and I found a couple bottles of water. And actually, I brought him out one bottle of water and said, "Here you go, man." And I said, "You okay?" And he said, "Do you have anything to eat?" And so I, we didn't have like usually at our church we have like because we're Baptists we have like lots of food all the time, and we didn't have any food this time. And and so we I went inside and I found like these little bags of chips. Like you know we have a big box of, of chips. And so I I got him two things out of chips and I walk out to him and, and he's still sitting there and his water's gone so I go back in and get him some more water and he's like and he's you can tell the guy's not all there he's kind of fried and he's like man thanks you're my savior man and I said no I'm not I'm not that's really how he talked and I, and I said no man I, I'm not I'm not your savior I'm just the guy who brings drinks and so I gave him some chips and some drinks and I left him I said you know the the 
Durham Rescue Mission is down this way. You know, if you keep walking down this road, you'll find it. And so Mike, when he was moving, so he had to go back to his house to help move. And so I left the guy on the porch, and I was leaving. It was about 5 o'clock, and um, I forget what day it was. It was real hot, which could be any day in North Carolina. And, and um, so I'm, I'm pulling out of the parking lot, and I got really convicted that this guy opened up a perfect opportunity for me to say, I'm not the Savior, but I know him. And I was pulling out of the parking lot, and I was actually arguing with God in my head. God, this guy's not even there. Like, I told him where to go. I gave him food. What else do you want me to do? And I felt like God said, I want you to love him. Because what I did was easy. And so I went back, and sure enough, he was still there, and he'd eaten everything. He was still there. And I walked up to him, and I said, hey, man, you know, you called me the Savior earlier. And, and I said, I'm not the Savior, but I know the Savior. And I sat down with him and I started to share the gospel with this guy. And I thought I was he was really attentive. He was really looking at me. And then all of a sudden in the middle of the, the whole thing, I'm getting ready to ask him, you know, do you know Christ? And, uh, and he says, yeah, my mom was supposed to bring me some money, but she didn't, man. I don't think she, I don't think she did. And then I was like, okay. <laughs> so this guy, you know, it just right over his head. But the point was that I stopped. And I shared the gospel with him. And then I said, well, man, where are you staying tonight? And he said, I don't know, man. I might just go over to that rescue. I said, Look, just get in the car. I said, do you have any other clothes? And he said, no. I mean, this guy needed some clothes. And uh, so we have, a, we have a little ministry at the church. It's called Second Mile where people can donate clothes. And we give it to people who need it. And so I went over there and we found a bag. Luckily, there was like a bag of, with toothpaste and shampoo and all kinds of stuff in it. So I gave him that and gave him like a nice zip bag. Not like a plastic bag, but like something he could really carry and hold on to. And we filled it with clothes. Like he was a big guy, so it was hard to find bigger clothes for him. But we found a few. And uh, again, because we're Baptists and we have large clothes a lot of times. And so we threw those into the bag for him. And then I said, well, man, have you eaten any? When's the last time you had a good meal? And he's like, I can't even remember, man. And so we drove down to Wendy's. And uh, I got him. Uh, he ordered. I said, what do you want? Just order whatever you want. And he got like the triple deal like the big one that's like heart attack on a bun and he's like triple large size you know give me everything like the most expensive thing on the menu and I'm like okay let's get that I'm not kidding he gets it and he's like man thanks so much so on the way down to Wendy's I forgot this part this is a cool part on the way down to Wendy's he starts to tell me how he was he was trained and and good in hand-to-hand -hand combat and weaponry so <laughs> have this dude has been lit a few too many times in my car and he's half naked, and he's telling me how good he is at fighting. And I'm thinking, great, my car's about to get jacked, and I'm about to get a broken nose. And I remember just looking at him, and I remember looking at him and thinking, go ahead and try it. I swear I will crash this car into that pole, your side first. And he never tried anything. I don't know what, but you don't say that to somebody you know, who's giving you a ride. You're, oh, I'm real good at hand-to-hand, -hand and twice as big as you are. I like your car. All right. So we get to Wendy's, I get him this meal, and so we get back in the, we don't ever get out of the car, we go around the drive-thru, and I'm taking him to a hotel to, for the night, because he has, he's, I mean, he's sleeping in like a concrete ditch, and he showed me on the way to Wendy's where he had slept the night before, and the guy, he just wasn't all quite there, and uh, so he eats the hamburger before, like the, the hotels across the street, uh, Hillsborough Road, like four lanes, but by the time we get into the hotel parking lot, the hamburger's gone. 
Like he's the and I told him it's only that too fast because you get sick and it didn't matter. I mean it's like it was crazy. You guys ever seen Aliens versus Monsters or Monsters? The blob guy that just eats like that's kind of how it was. It was like ah, it's crazy. So we get over there and and uh, we get to the hotel room. I get him upstairs to his hotel room and we get him in there. And then he asked me for cigarettes and you know I had to tell him no, I'm not going to buy any cigarettes. And I gave him some some more money I had in my pocket and. Uh, I never saw the guy again. And I said, you know, our church is right. You know where it is. It's about a mile down that way. If you go a little bit farther. It's uh, the the rescue mission. You know, they'll be happy to help you get on your feet, that kind of thing. And I never saw the guy again. So I, I don't know what happened to him. But I do know that the gospel was planted in his heart and that he had a full belly for the night and, an, and a nice bed to sleep in and a shower. and These things that we take for granted um, he had, and, and, I, and I, again, I tell you that not to say that, look at me, but to say that we all struggle with this idea of loving those who we don't consider worth the time. And a lot of people, myself including, would not have considered this guy really worth the time. And a few weeks later, I was driving down the road and there was a guy holding a sign up just saying, hey, need help. And I had just gotten paid for uh, something I had done, and I wasn't expecting to get paid for it. And, and I had this money in my wallet. And I thought, I don't, I mean, I didn't expect this money. I don't need this money. It was $100. And in my family, like, $100 is a lot of money. And so I'm thinking, I want to hold on to this because I'd like a double cheeseburger. And I drove by the guy. And I had this money in my wallet that I didn't need. And I drove by the guy, talked myself out of loving this guy. Now, loving people is more than giving money and more than giving things like that, but I think that shows where our hearts are. It showed where my heart was that day, that I had forgotten about this story and about the greatest commandment. And so... We come to this, the end of the story, and we, you know, I shared with you some things in, in my life about helping that guy out and then not helping a guy out. We talked about what the Samaritan did for this guy. We have to ask ourselves this question How in the world does this kind of love happen? How can I love like that? Because I just shared with you in my own life as a pastor, as a student of the law, so to speak. I guess I'd be a student of grace. <laughs> but as the, as the guy who's the representative of God on earth, you know, not that people who aren't pastors are, you know what I mean though. You know, as a guy who has a title and works in a church, how I struggle with this. And how one day I had great victory, and I know I'm probably never see the fruit of it. Hopefully there is fruit from it. And then one day, total defeat. And so, we have to ask ourselves, how does this happen in my life? How do I start to love the unlovely? How do I start to love my neighbor who is every man? How do I do this? And I think we got we, this story is so cool, we kind of divest it from what happened above. And it's that the law of God, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And we kind of divest it from that whole part of Scripture there, but really they're, they're wed together and they cannot be taken apart from each other because this kind of love starts when we love God the right way. This kind of love happens in our lives when we, we start loving our neighbor as ourselves, as Scripture commands us to. It's not like an optional thing, like in a book you can do this if you want to. It's like commanded, demanded of Christ that we do this. And it only happens when we love God as we should. And I'm not talking about tipping your hat to God in the morning kind of love. I'm not talking about the, hey God, thanks for all the good things in my life kind of love. I'm talking about passionate, pursuing love. My wife and I were nine hours separated for five of the six years we dated. But I loved her. And I pursued her. And I kept the passion until we were married. But I was passionate about this woman. And it caused me to do crazy things like drive all night through the night to go see her. Nine hours is a long time in a little Saturn SL2 four-door sedan. It's a long time. Those seats aren't made to be in for nine hours. It caused me to do crazy things for her. And this is the kind of love that we're to love God with that causes us to do crazy things for Him. Not to be weird. Everybody assumes that people who are really in love with God are weird and they hold hands and sing Kumbaya all the time. That's not it at all. It's not about being weird. It's about being in love. And it's not falling in love. It's choosing to love. I hate that term. I fell in love. It's like you're helpless to the thing. Love is a choice. I married my wife and realized she's not perfect. But I still love her. Because I choose to love her. She realized that I wasn't perfect. I know that's hard to believe. She realized that. And she still loves me. She makes that choice to love me. Love is a choice and we must choose to passionately pursue and love our Savior. We have to decide if this is the kind of love we're going to love God with. It causes us to do crazy things. There was a young student who graduated from college. She had $2,000 in her bank account. And she said, you know what? I'm going to leave the country. I'm going to go live in an African country. And I wish I could remember the name of it, but I don't. And I'm going to live there until my money runs out. She was there for a few months, and she noticed this little girl coming to a clinic or, or something. And she was carrying a, a little baby on her back. And she asked the little girl, hey, what's, you know, where's your mom? And the older girl, I think she was about eight years old at the time, said, my mom is dying with AIDS, and she can't take care of us anymore. So I come here to get my, my baby sister help. And this girl was moved with compassion for this family. and She started to care and buy formula for this baby and to care for this family. And She got a chance to meet the mom right before she died of AIDS. And the mom told this girl, who was a college student who loved God enough to passionately pursue Him and to give up all the luxuries America has to offer, to live in an African nation, which if you've ever been to Africa is not like America. And not only that, but to love this little girl who she had knew nothing about with a passion that puts us to shame. And this mom looked at her and she said, you've taken care of my daughter 
I've never known love like this. I want to be saved. What a glorious story of a girl who loved God passionately and loved her neighbor passionately. And now there's a woman who died of AIDS but died with Christ in heaven waiting to be reunited with her children. And then get this. This is this is just this is this is the Samaritan part of the story where not only did she take care of this baby, she adopted that baby. And she brought him or her back to the state. And she chose to take care of that child. What an amazing story. Love. And it all boils down to how much did she love God? How much do we love our God? Because that is going to be what we draw from. Like, if you picture it like this, there is a, a man who is building a, a well in the mountains of Vermont. And Vermont, I hear, is awesome. Well, Vermont's very hard to find water in the mountains. And so he had hired this old mountaineer, like this dude, like, you know, like in the movies, the old guy with the big beard, and he just knows everything about the world. And, and they said, come divine some water for me. And he gets the stick kind of deal, and he goes around, and he finds water for this guy. And he says, if you dig 14 feet down in this well, uh, there's a well, there's an underground river here, and you'll find water. Sure enough, he says, but you have to draw from it every day. In other words, empty the well every day. And so he goes down, and he drills this this well, and sure enough, there's water down there, and he starts to draw from it. So the first day he draws from it, the well fills up to about four feet deep. He draws it all out, and the second day it fills up to, to like eight feet deep, and it looked really good, really stable. And so he stopped drawing from it. And he went on, and he built the house, and he got in his house, and the first day he had water like the whole day, and it was great, and then the next day he woke up, and there was no water, so he goes out to the well, and it's dry. And he tries to revive the well, and he can't get it going. So he ends up having to spend like $3,000 on some kind of special water irrigation thing down the hill to get water to his house. And it's all a big mess. And he, founds that mountaineer, he finds that mountaineer guy, I don't know where, but he runs into him and he's like, hey man, that, there was water in that well, but it dried right up. And the, the mountaineer, you know, in his wisdom, I can just see him, you know, sitting there rocking in his chair, <laughs> chewing on a piece of something. And he says, well, did you draw from it every day? And and the guy said, no, I, I drew from it for about three days. It looks good. And I stopped. And he said, well, that's, you're an idiot. <laughs> you have to draw from it every day because an underground river isn't like a big river. It's a bunch of little capillaries. And the more you draw from it, the bigger the capillaries get. So you have to draw from it every day to get this thing huge. And if you don't draw from it, then the water sits in the well and it closes off the capillaries. And so the well go, or the, the river goes somewhere else. It diverts to the you know, easiest way to go after that. And this is a lot like the well we draw from to love others. If we're not drawing from this well of God's love, if we're not drawing from it every day, then pretty soon we find ourselves kind of drying up. Right? Does this make sense to you guys? And so in order to draw from this well, we have to be passionately pursuing God and passionately pursuing His righteousness and His kingdom and His glory so that we can continually draw from that and then disperse it to those people who are unlovely. Not just those people that we like, those people who are like us, but those who are unlovely. I'll close with this story and 
will be done. There's a couple at our church. Um, we've been praying for this couple for a long time. They came to Elevation um, because they saw the banner with the guitar on it. And this guy was high. And in fact, they still come to church high a lot of times. And it's hard to continually love these people because it seems like they just waste it. It seems like they just take it and take it and take it and then it's gone. It's wasted. And I've had to come to the realization that there was a saying I used to say a lot. And that's it's that I can lavish love on anyone because I have an infinite supply in Christ. And I've come to realization that that saying is really easy to say to people, but it's very, very hard to live. And I've been challenged about loving my neighbor very in a very real and tangible way because I see these people every weekend. And I had to have a discussion with them a couple weeks ago, and some of you guys were in, in a C group. I was actually pulled out of the C group lesson and, and had to go talk with them because uh, they appeared to be high and, and were just being a distraction. And, and I, had to physic- I, had to, I had to tell them that I would rather you come to church high than not come to church, but there has to be a limit here. There has to be a boundary here. There has to be something that we go by. And they got so mad at me. And I had to keep telling them, it's, oh, I'm only telling you this because I love you. I'm only telling you this because you're ruining your life and you got a baby that I have to worry about. And they got so mad. Well, she was okay, but he was just livid. And he was mad at me for a week. (laughs) It wasn't until somebody else talked to him that he calmed down. And I I have to remind myself that I can lavish love on these people because I have an infinite source in Christ. And I have to continually remind myself of this. And so, guys, I challenge you. I challenge you with this story that don't assume you're the Samaritan. Don't assume you're the good soil that the seed falls on. But ask yourself this question, where am I the priest and the Levite? Am I pursuing God with everything that I am because I am in love with Him? And if you can honestly say, yes, I'm pursuing God with everything I am because I'm in love with Him, then you will love your neighbor as yourself. And you will love the unlovely. And you will love the unforgivable by cultural standards. You will love those people who need it most. Even if they don't return it or don't do anything with it, you'll be able to continually love them. Guys, thanks for having me. Um, I really enjoy you guys, all you guys who come to to Elevation. Love you guys to death. I am praying for you. I believe in you guys. You will never have more influence than you have right now in college. Never. You meet people from around the world, all over the country here. Make the most of your time. It will go by really fast. I'm an old man now. I was just in college like, you know, three days ago. Seems like. Let me pray for you guys. Father, I thank you for this beautiful day. I thank you for these students. Father, I pray that they would know that we have their backs, that we 
We love them. Father, I pray that you would let your word just settle in their hearts tonight, that they would not forget this as soon as they walk out the door, but that they would let this stir in their lives, that they would ask themselves honestly, where am I the Levite? Where am I the priest? Am I pursuing God passionately? Am I loving Him so that I can love my neighbor? Father, let us be a church that is awake and not one that is complacent and happy with our comfortable chairs and our grand organs. Let us be your church that you saw in your heart when you offered up your life. And let us arise and awake and change this world. May they know we are your followers by our love not just for each other, but for the most unlovely and unlovable people in the world. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.